Faith, and we've come to the place tonight. What we've been doing is we've been using the Apostles' Creed kind of as our as our guide. Um, now, for some of you, that's weird because maybe you grew up in a church where it's like, ooh, that sounds kind of traditional. Basically, the Apostles' Creed was just this helpful way from very, 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 very early on to say this is the basics of what it means to believe as a Christian. And tonight we're coming to a place where we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. So tonight we're talking about the church. Now, of course, you know, a lot of you know that a lot of times when you see that printed, it'll have a little asterisk by Catholic. When we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, think universal. In other words, the church worldwide. One of the most beautiful things that scripture says is that when we get to the new heavens and the earth, that God will have redeemed for himself a people from every tribe and tongue. That's a, it's a beautiful picture. That in some ways, the mo- like if you've ever been to New York or if you've ever been to a big city, and part of what is so incredible about it is it's so diverse and it's so many people from so many different tribes and tongues. And, and Jesus says that will pale. That will, heaven, the new heavens and the earth will make that pale because we're talking about the church. The church universal. And to do that tonight, what I want to do is if you brought your Bible, go to the book of Acts with me. And we're going to look at a book, a uh, 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 Passage of scripture from Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. Because here's the deal tonight. Is that as soon as I say that word church, a lot of you sort of are ready to zone out. You're like, really? We're talking about this tonight? And what I, long for, for, what I long to happen for you and for me is for us to get a vision of the kind of, jer- the kind of church that Jesus has been, is, and will forever be bringing together and bringing about. So look at me, or look at uh, scripture with me, and look at me as well. <laughs> By the way, I am going to be doing this number a lot tonight because I, I'm not winking at you. Um, but I, my last uh, contact ripped this morning, and so I've got my wife's contact in, and um, we just have her vision is, is way less worse than my vision. So if I'm doing this, I promise I'm not like trying to get your number afterwards, <laughs> because that would be creepy. I mean, in a in a wrong way. <laughs> okay, let's look at God's word together. Um, Acts two forty two to forty seven. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray and then we'll jump into it tonight. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you in particular for, um, for your church. Uh, Lord, that you have made us those who belong to Jesus that you have made us part of. And Father, I do pray as we, um, as we open your word and as we think together about your church, Lord, that you would do a work in us. That your church would become more beautiful that our service uh, to your church would become uh, more deep and faithful, and that, Lord, um, we would have a a passion to see uh, you honored and glorified in our communities and in our churches. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
So here's what I want to do tonight, thinking about the church. It's going to be very simple. As I really want to do just three things as we come to this idea and thinking together about the church. And here's how I want to do it. First, I want to talk about why the church, why church is hard. Second, I want to talk about why we should love the church. And then lastly, what I want to talk about, we're going to get kind of practical in the last point, is I want to talk about how do you pick a church. All right, so that's what we're doing tonight. So why church is hard, why we should love the church, and how in the world do you begin to pick a church, okay? So first thing we have a little bit about why church is hard. Now, some of you really need uh, to hear me say this. That just right off the bat, the church can be one of the hardest things to think about and to deal with. And here's why. There's really two reasons for this. Both because the church is made up of sinners and because you're a sinner. Okay? So when we talk about why the church is hard, we're talking about two things. A... Some of us have been deeply hurt by the church, and the church has gotten some things deeply, deeply wrong, right? We can say this tonight. As Christians, we can say, like, because it's made up of sinners, we sin, and we've, the church has, has hurt you, and the church has gotten a lot of things wrong. But on the other hand, we're going to talk about how you, that you're a sinner. So it's not like you come into the church like this pure angel who's like, oh, you know, you, know, you come into the church and you bring your own problems with it. So let's talk about that together for a little bit. So first... Problems with the church, and then second, problems with you. So first, some of, for some of you, the church is deeply wrong to you. When I was um, doing RUF at Georgia Southern, one of the saddest kind of uh, students that I met with, just one of the saddest stories that kind of came out of my five years there, there's this girl who, uh, she was from this little town in, in South Georgia, and she had been going to this church, she'd become a Christian, And the pastor of this church, he had taught her, he had kind of like spent a lot of time with her. And then he kind of got her to this place where he said, to be a Christian means you do whatever I tell you to do. And she said, okay, that sounds kind of weird, but okay, I'm going to go with it because you're my pastor and I trust you. And then he totally turned the relationship, he turned the relationship sexual. He started asking her to do things with him and he would would guilt her into it. He would say, this is what the Lord, I'm your pastor, don't you trust me? This is what the Lord wants you to do. Just trust me. Just listen to me. Now, if you put yourself in her shoes for a second, how would you feel about the church? If I were her, I would never have gone... You know, no. Now, thank the Lord she, she knew Jesus. She knew that not all churches were like that. But some of, you have, some of your stories are not that dramatic. Some of you just had youth ministers who just... You know, maybe said some things to you that you just didn't appreciate. And maybe he was right, maybe he wasn't. But for a lot of us, we can say that the church has hurt us. That we've been hurt by the church. That's why Gandhi used to say that, uh, he, this was his thing that he would say, he would say I, uh, to Christians, he would say, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And we can say that. Let's just be honest tonight. A lot of us come from churches that in so many ways are not like our Christ. And we just have to be honest and admit it's part of why it's hard. But second, thinking about problems with the church, the church has also gotten things wrong. The church has historically gotten things wrong. So let's just take one example. Let's take uh, the issue of racism and slavery. Do you know, I mean, a lot of you know, a lot of us are from the South, so a lot of us know that there were a lot of Presbyterian churches trying to make arguments for slavery from the Bible. Do you know how crazy that is? We're all made in the image of God, except you guys. Right? 
Uh, this, there was a beautiful story that came out of this. There's a church because uh, what's happening in, in my denomination, REF is part of a denomination called the PCA. And it's a beautiful movement where a lot of these, where we have a lot of churches in the South that have been around for a long time, since the 16 and 1700s. And there's this entire movement in our denomination that is trying to repent today of racism that happened in the church yesterday. So there's this one of my, uh, we're kind of Facebook, Twitter friends, uh, but he came and spoke at Summer Conference two years ago, a guy named Richie Sessions. And he's a pastor of a really historic, kind of like a first pres church, if you think around Columbia, in Memphis, Tennessee. And he, in his session, his elders, um, he actually, they led this, they wrote this open letter to the congregation repenting publicly of the sin of racism in their past. And this is what he wrote. It was beautiful. uh, And it's just a beautiful example of the gospel at work. And here's what he said. He said, just as we celebrate those aspects of independent prayers, which we are proud of, we must also acknowledge with sadness and renounce and repudiate those practices in our history that do not reflect biblical standards. We profess, acknowledge, and confess before God, before one another, and before the watching world that tolerance of forced or institutional segregation based on race And declarations of the inferiority of certain races, such as were once practiced and supported by our church and many other voices in the Presbyterian tradition, were wrong and cannot and will not be accepted within our church today or ever again. When I read that, I want to weep. Because if you're not a Christian and you live in Memphis and you hear a church saying we were wrong. We need Jesus to forgive us. Do you understand why that's attractive? Do you know what's not attractive? Is when we pretend like, oh, no, the church is never wrong. Just listen to the church. No, sometimes the Bible explicitly is going against something we're doing. This is just one example of that. So sometimes the church has deeply hurt you. Sometimes the church has deeply gotten things wrong, okay? But that's not the only problem. We could go on about the church, but that's not the only problem. Because... It's like G.K. Chesterton said way back in the day. He was kind of like a C.S. Lewis before C.S. Lewis. And uh, the London Times in his day, it's kind of like the New York Times, had this editorial that said, uh, what's wrong with the world? And you would write in and you would give your answer about what was wrong with the world. And Chesterton's his, his response was brilliant. He simply wrote and he said, to the, to the question, what is wrong with the world today? He wrote and he said, dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. And I want to say, Amen. You're the problem too. You're a sinner too. So it's not like you come into a church innocent. It's not like you don't come into a church with a self-centered, selfish play. You do this in two ways, and we do this in two ways. Here's the two ways that, we, that we're the problem. Two ways. We think like consumers. Sound like a helicopter, which is incredible, okay? Don't know what's going on here, but... Can I get some help uh, from somebody? Sound people? <laughs> cool. Like, I feel like I'm in an action movie right now that I need to hit the ground. Okay. I'll just keep going. So, all right, so we're the problem too. And here's the problem that, that, that we bring to the table. One, we think like consumers. Okay, here's what I mean by that. That we're, you and I, just as Americans, that you and I are always looking for the deal. In particular, we're always looking for the therapeutic deal. And here's what I mean by that. Is you and I are always looking for, how can I, 
What will cost me almost nothing but give me and make me feel so, so good? We're, we're consumers. Like Christmas is the time where this comes out. Where literally as I go, if you're like me, when I go to make an Amazon wish list like for my kids, then I suddenly start seeing things for myself. And I'm like, maybe we could sneak a little, maybe I could get some deals here so I can get daddy some things too, right? So like, I don't know if that's happened to you where when you go to shop for someone and you end up shopping for yourself. We're consumers through and through. We look for the deal that makes me feel good, that costs me nothing. And here's the deal with the church is it costs you everything. Like right now as a college student, if you are going to commit to a local church, here's what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you weekend plans. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you sleep. It's going to cost you, we could talk about this, but it's going to cost you money because we're called to be generous and giving. It's going to cost you. And you and I as Americans and as consumers, we don't like that. We're looking for something that makes me feel good, but that doesn't cost me anything. And here's the second thing that makes us, that we're the problem, is we stink at community. We're really, really bad at community. You and I have kind of a Clint Eastwood mentality, which is I don't need anybody. It's me, and I don't need anybody, and I'm going to do my own thing. And if you want to join me in doing what I want to do, that's why you've gone through so many friends. Like seniors, you can testify this, that your friends as freshmen, because you were so selfish, changed to your friends now. You lost a lot of friends along the way. Why? Because you're selfish. You know what? And I am too. Welcome to the club. That's why we need Jesus. Right? But we, are, we stink, stink, stink at community. And here's what's interesting is we watch, you and I watch shows about community, like a lot of us watch How I Met Your Mother, and what's interesting is we watch all these shows about community and we watch them alone, like on our laptops, like with, you know, earphones in. It's deeply ironic, right, that we sort of long for it, but it costs us something. Again, it costs us something that we're not willing to pay. Real relationships are hard and costly, and so we stink at it. Uh, Here's just, we were doing this in, in freshman Bible study the other week, we're talking about community, and it was really convicting to read through. Have you ever read through all the one another's in the Bible? Because here's the kind of community. This is the kind of community that, act, that, Paul, that, that uh, Luke is talking about in Acts that was happening. Just think about this for a second. Listen to this list as I read it. And there are going to be two things that happen. On the one hand, you're going to realize that you don't do this very well. And on the other hand, there's something in your heart that's going to long for this. Just listen to the list. The Bible calls us to honor one another. To accept one another. To bear with one another patiently. To forgive one another from the heart. To pray for one another faithfully and continually. To confess sin to one another. To cheer for one another. To challenge one another. To confront one another. And to instruct one another. And as I read that, I realize that I fail at this and you fail at this. But my heart longs for this. For this kind of... Don't, don't you, do you not long for that? And yet, you and I, are, we, we, we stink at it. So first, why church is hard. But then second thing, think with me for a little bit about why we should love the church. Okay? Why we should love the church. And what I hope just happened as I read that, like I hope something in your heart does long for it. And that's what I'm going to talk about is why we should long for it. And why we should love it. Especially at this point I'm talking to those of us who belong to Jesus. Those of us who have repented of our sin and put our faith in Jesus and we know him, we belong. There there are three things you've got to see about why we should love the church. And here's the first thing you have to see. 
is that we are the church. Part of why you should love the church is if you belong to Jesus, you are the church. All right, here, here's the way that I think about it with my kids. And we, it's become a habit, so we wake up, we've got four kids, and, uh, which is too, too many for us. I'm a two-parent dad. I'm a two-kid dad with four kids because Jesus loves me and wants to sanctify me. So what that means, though, is when we, when we go to church on Sunday mornings, it's very hard. And, but a lot of times when we talk about the kids, will say, are we going to church today? Wait, as soon as they wake up, you, you remember probably doing this as kids, like they rush into our bedroom. Are we going to church today? Are we going to church today? And I try to say to them, no, we don't go to church. We go to worship because we are the church. All right, listen to me for a second. We go to the mall. We go to Zaxby's. We go to the movies. We go ice skating. We go to a USC game. But we don't go to church because we are the church. That's why in, in the old days, that I love the way that theologians used to say it. They used to refer to the, the, the when we talked about the church, they talked about the church gathered for worship and the church scattered. And that's how it works. In other words, the, the church is not an event. Church is not a place. There's actually a pastor, a lot of you know him, Brian Habig in, in Greenville. He's planted a, a church called Downtown Prez. And he will, literally, he will never, when someone says, can I, we, can I meet you in their office? He will never say, meet me at the church. He will say, meet me at the building. Why? Because we are the church. And he's trying to instill that in his people. That it's a people. It's a people who've been called out in the world, who've been called to Jesus himself. And Jesus is building them up together, a community that belongs to him. It's the church gathered and it's the church scattered. It's a people, not, a, not an event and not a place. Second, we need the church. All right, we are the church, but we need the church. Because Jesus did not only call us to himself, and the Father not only gave us to Jesus, but Jesus gave us to one another. And he didn't do it just like, hey, this is a neat idea. Watch this, guys. It was like he did it because he knew deeply that we need it. That's why very, from the very beginning pages of the Bible, God looked at Adam and he said to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. And that means more than it's good to be married. That means we long for and need community with one another. And that's what the church gives to us. A place where we, are, where we can know and be known. A place where we can love and be loved. Uh, you, okay, just think with me. Why, why do we need the church? We need the church for instruction. Like, part of what God's design and his wisdom is, is to train up pastors and teachers to actually teach us the Bible. Because he knew that you and I just reading the Bible of our own, like, it wasn't going to do the trick. We need, we need people to instruct us. We need examples. I need, and you need, people that are older than me, and have been Christians longer than me, can, that can show me what it looks like to live as a Christian in Columbia, South Carolina. Listen, if you're a freshman, you need seniors in your life that can help you and be an example of what it looks like to live as a faithful Christian on the campus of USC. Now, the problem with you and me is we're too proud for that. Because like, even though I say that, my heart's like, I don't, need, I don't need that. And I'm like, yes, I do need that. Because I need Jesus. And Jesus says that I need that. And you need that. So part of what you're saying in your heart when you, when you don't go to church when you sort of reject and say, I don't need that, you're basically saying, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody to teach me. You're like, my, you're like what my kids do. When my, when my son, like he's going through this thing where he's tying his shoes. And like he can't tie his shoes, but like he thinks he can tie his shoes. And I'm like, Asher, if you just let me tie your shoes, this can go way better. Let me show you how to tie your shoes. He's like, no, I can do it myself. 
And that, like, that was me in college. In my heart, I was saying to Jesus, no, I can do it myself. And the reality is Jesus is saying, no, you can't do it yourself. Which is why you need the church. You need it for instruction. You need it for examples. You need it for encouragement. You need people to point you to Jesus. You need people to text you scripture. You need people to pray with you. Where are you going to find that? Jesus says in my church. You need it for accountability. Okay, so um, one of my favorite, this is, I don't know if you've seen these cartoons, but they'll do like a typical religious cartoon and then they'll put like a cynical uh, twist on it, which I like a lot. So they took the footprints one. You're, you, a lot of you have seen this, but the foot, you know, footprints where Jesus is looking back. He's like, and that set of one footprints is where I carried you. <laughs> Whatever. So, but there's one that says, it's great, sure, yes. But there's one that I love that says, and that mess of sand is where I dragged you. <laughs> and I love that because that is what you and I need. And part of his design, and, and, and we need people that will drag us at times. Uh, and part of what Jesus' design is at is that's why we need the church. Because sometimes we need to be dragged. Sometimes we need to be rebuked. We need to be challenged, confronted. Um, I, I had a friend, I think I've shared this before, but I had a friend. I was one of the, um, it was one of the most faithful things a friend ever did is I was in this relationship I shouldn't have been in. And he emailed me, which was kind of a... Probably should have emailed me, but he at least had the courage. None of my other friends had the courage to say anything. And he emailed me and sort of shared his concern. And part of how I know that friend is one of my best friends still today, how I know he loves me is because he was willing to say hard things to me. And that's true for you too. You, part of why you need the church is you need people who are, are able to say and willing to say and love you enough to say hard things to you. Jesus loves you enough to say hard things to you. And part of why you need the church is you need people that, are, that love you enough to say hard things to you. I love the way that, um, you know, if you think about it like this, like trying to, trying to live as a Christian apart from the church is like trying to live as a fish out of water. I love the way that Cyprian, he was an early church father, he used to say it like this, he used to say, you cannot have, listen to what he said, he would say, you cannot have God for your father without having the church as your mother. You cannot have God as your father without having the church as your mother. But here's the third reason why we should love the church. And this is the biggest reason of all. It's that Jesus died for the church. There's a guy who's kind of one of the founders of RUF. His name was Bebo Elkin. Which is just a sweet name. I've never met him, but Bebo is an incredible name to me. I don't know why, but just for what it's worth. Um, But he used to say, if Jesus loved the church enough to die for her, you can love the church enough to be patient with her. If Jesus loved the church enough to give his life for her, you can love the church enough to be patient with her. Um, and this means two things. On the one hand, this means, all right, so some of you, you're a part of a church, and you're a little bit drinking the Kool-Aid. Like, you're like, everything about my church is incredible. Woo, it's amazing. And I'm like, a part of me is glad for you. I love that you love your church. But part of what you have to remember is, don't drink the Kool-Aid because Jesus still had to die for your church. Right? Like your church still has problems. Your church still has sin that Jesus had to die for. Alright, that's the first thing. But here's the second thing. It's a lot of you in the other place, you're like, oh, I can't find a church. Or you're, you go to somewhere, you're like, complain about it every Sunday. You're like, ugh, 
It was so boring. We sang this hymn, or you know, you complain about the church. Some of you are drinking the Kool Aid. Jesus had to die for that church. Some of you are complaining. Here's what I want to say. Here's my illustration for this. So I want you to imagine you go to the mall and you're in, let's say, J. Crew, and you're with some guy friends. Let's imagine you're a guy. And you're, uh, look, this is a lot of those are guys. It's not hard to imagine. So you're looking at this girl and you're talking to your guy friends. You're like, oh, look what she's wearing. Oh, you see, like, her, what's wrong with her hair? Like, she could lo- stand to lose a few pounds. And I want you to imagine that from behind you, you hear a man say, uh, excuse me, guys, that's my wife. Like, I, I so want this to happen in real life. <laughs> what do you think Jesus says when you're complaining about, about church? He says, um, that's my bride. I died for her. If I loved her enough to die for her, you can love her enough to be patient. To be patient. And this is the last thing I want to say in our little bit of time left. Um, all right, so very practically, though, how do you begin to, to think about picking a church? Some of, you, some of you have a church. That's great. I'm not trying to, like, go for it. I'm glad for that. Some of you don't. And some of you have the question, okay, how do I know what a good church to be a part of would be? And uh, there are five things I want to say, sort of five, um, I'll call them litmus tests, five litmus tests that sort of say this is a healthy church that I can be a part of. Okay, here they are, just five of them, we'll go through them quick. First question, does it love the Bible? In other words, is it unafraid to preach all of the Bible? Like R.C. Sproul used to say, we're required to believe not what we want the Bible to say, but what the Bible actually says. Is, is it willing to do that? It, does it believe the Bible? Like, really believe it. That it's not just like a guidepost or a reader's digest on your grandparents' toilet. Like, it's a living book. It's the lamp into my feet and the light into my path. It's the way that I know God and God speaks to me. So the first, does it love the Bible? Second, does it preach the gospel? Does it preach the gospel? Do I walk away not with the message, do better, try harder, but do I walk away instead knowing on the one hand that I am far worse than I can ever imagine, because we talk about sin, can't talk about the gospel without talking about sin, But on the other hand, that because of Jesus, Jesus came and he gave his life for me and he went to the cross for me and he died for my sins. I am more cherished and loved than I could ever dream. And so the focus, another way way of saying it is, we talk a lot about Jesus and we talk a lot about the cross. We're going to try as hard as we can. Spurgeon used to say that in every passage of scripture, there's a way, there's a line to the cross. And part of how you know a church is preaching the gospel is, is wherever the preacher is preaching from, he's trying to get to Jesus and he's trying to get to the cross. And words like grace are very important, right? So one, does it love the Bible? Two, does it preach the gospel? Three, does it take sin seriously? Is it a church that takes sin seriously? In other words, like I used to have students and they kind of came into RUF at Georgia Southern and they would say like, part of what's so weird about RUF is you guys like use the word sin. And I was like, yeah, we use the word like, how can we be Christians and not use the word sin? Like that's, that's our fundamental problem. That's why we need Jesus. Does it use the word sin? Do, do we talk about repenting of sin? 
do we talk about our need for forgiveness? Is forgiveness happening? Uh, here's a huge one. Is it, a, is it a church that when someone falls into serious sin, that's very public, that the church is not afraid to go after that person, to call them to repentance, and to seek lovingly to restore them? Does it take sin seriously? Now, here's the fourth. Does it have a passion for doing mercy? Does it have a passion for doing mercy? Here's what I mean by that. Does it have a heart for the lost? Can a non-Christian come and, and feel the warmth of the gospel? Does it have a heart for the poor? Is it a church that, that cares about the, the poor and the community around it? Does it love to show and do acts of mercy? Does it seek to minister to and reach out to the community around it? Is it a church that has a passion for doing mercy? And here's the last one, the fifth one. Do its leaders love and follow Jesus? Do its leaders love and follow Jesus? Are they open and vulnerable about their struggles and their sin? Are they humble? Not, not perfect? Listen, if I, if I thought being a pastor meant being perfect, like, game over. Like, I'm done. I'm done. But are they in some ways an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus? That you can learn from them and you can follow them. Alright, so does it love the Bible? Does it preach the gospel? Does it take sin seriously? Does it have a passion for doing mercy? And do its leaders love and follow Jesus? Those are the five litmus tests. Now here's the reality. Is that there, you're going to find very few churches that do all five of these extremely well. Like, I have a friend who goes to a different church than we do, and we often talk, if we could just take the strengths of this church with the strengths of this church and, like, put them together in one church, it would be incredible. It would be like the new heavens and new earth. And that doesn't happen. So, I'm not trying to put this, like, unrealistic, but this is, these are the marks that we're talking about. How do I know a church is healthy? Well, in some measure, it cares about and is doing these five things. Now, here's how I want to close. Some of you are here, and after all of this, you're feeling pretty, a little bit self-righteous. You're like, yeah. I do the church thing pretty well. And you're feeling pretty good about yourself. And can I humble you for just a second? Or can the Holy Spirit humble you, hopefully? You're going to, you're going to worship. I had to correct myself there. Great. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Like, you're, you're, just, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And my question to you, if you're feeling a little bit self-righteous, like, yeah, I got this. My question to you is, how are you serving the church? Because that's, that's the better question. Not am I going, that's like baseline, right? Baseline is like, it's like my kids getting dressed in the morning. Like, you got dressed, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad that you got dressed, right? Like, that's important. But that's sort of the baseline for the rest of the day, right? So, you're going to, church, you're going to worship, great. How are you serving, Right? How are, you, how are you involved beyond yourself? How is it costing you? Okay? Now, for some of you, you feel incredibly guilty. And you feel like I'm punching you in the stomach. It's not what I'm trying to do. But if that's where you are, here's what I want to say to you. If you're feeling guilty, you're like, man, I really have, like I've slept through every Sunday this year. Here's what I want to say to you. On the one hand, there's no condemnation in Christ. I think Jesus, the most beautiful thing is... He doesn't hold a record. Psalm 131 says, if he kept a record of our sin, who could stand before him? 
There's no condemnation. And what I want to say to you sort of lovingly is, this Sunday's a fresh start. It's a total fresh start. And my encouragement to you very practically would be, find a friend who goes to one of these churches I'm talking about and go with them. If you're not a morning person, A, get to bed a little early Saturday night, which I know is like death to a lot of you, or go to somewhere that has a later service, because there are a lot of places around here that have a later service, which is beautiful for college students. So with that, let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you that you are patient and faithful to us, even when we do not live up um, to what we are supposed to be, uh, especially when it comes to loving and serving your church. We pray that you forgive us, but we thank you that with you there is incredible mercy, that you meet us not in condemn- with condemnation, but you meet us uh, with forgiveness, and you meet us with the grace that leads us to repentance. And we pray that that would happen in our lives here tonight. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Thank you.